Percy Sled got it right. Especially in that part. The Bible says that he has, the man has found a good thing. Praise God for that. Well, if you hadn't figured it out, it's Mother's Day. Right? For all that we've talked about today and the wonderful music. What an awesome tribute that is to our mothers. I'm honored to have my mom here today. You ought to clap for my mom, amen? All right, all right. If you remember that Merlin had given Arthur advice on how to handle a woman. You ever seen that in Camelot? Of course, there's a, some lyrics written about that. And Arthur is really ticked off, and he says, Blast you, Merlin. This is your fault. You swore that you had taught me from A to Z with nary an omission in between. I should have had the world, W-H-I-R-L, to change into a girl to learn the way these creatures think. Isn't that so true? Right? And then at the end of the lyrics, he says, a wise old man says, I know the way uh, by every woman. The way to handle a woman is to love her, simply love her, merely love her, love her. Well, they got it right again, did they not? And of course, that's what the Word of our God says to us. Men, if you haven't figured out that it's Mother's Day, then you're already in trouble. (laughs) So I hope you figured that much out. It's a wonderful day to emphasize motherhood, but also to speak to the women in the church. And I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to speak for the ladies, but we're going to do it in a different way. Rather than preaching to the women or about the women, I'm going to preach for the women on behalf of the women. Or actually, better yet, put it another way, I'm going to preach to the men on behalf of the women. Now, look, please don't get too comfortable Because we're going to reverse the tables on Father's Day, and I'm going to preach a sermon called How to Stand by Your Man, and we're going to be there soon. There is a method to my madness. On Mother's Day, more than any other day of the year, there is a disproportionate number of men who frequent the church that don't come any other time. And you know how that happens. Uh, The men will wake up and they'll say, honey, it's your day. Or they'll call their mom and they'll say, Mom, this is your day. What would you have me to do? And they say something like, let's go to the Lord's house. And let's worship together as a family. And I know how some of you men think. And you thought, well, honey, I thought you'd want to go fishing. <laughs> or golfing or something like that. But I will be there. I, I'm going to go to church today. And I'm glad you did. Even if you were nagged into coming to church today, I am extremely glad that you are here. Now, I think Ephesians 5 is the classic text on what it means for a man to love a woman. And so make your way to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 22. Now, there's a verse of Scripture, verse 22, that even if your husband doesn't know John 3.16, he'll know this verse. You guys are laughing because you've pulled this one out before, right? Submit unto your husbands, right? Uh, you may not know John 3.16, but you're going to know this one. And, of course, this passage is primarily 
speaking to men about women. Watch the text of Scripture. We're going to begin in verse 22. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything, everything to their husbands. So you guys said, you know, those are the classic verses that preach to women. Well, there's only three to the, to the woman and seven to the man. So the pickup to the men and what we're going to see today is beginning in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify, that's the key word, her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same manner, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. This classic section here is is given six times in the Bible. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now Paul's going to give you the real picture behind the analogy of marriage. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, every once in a while, I'll have someone say to me, especially a lady, I don't know why God put that in the Word, that wives should submit unto your husbands. And you say, well, they ask that question, and I think, well, when you get to glory, just ask the king. I don't really think you're going to worry too much about it when you get there. But you can ask him. But the point is, in reference to those three verses, is that God gave man an authority position in the home. The man is to be the spiritual head of the home. If you think redemptively about the Bible, you'll see it in three ways. Creation, fall, and redemption. Those are the three categories of the Word of God. Creation, fall, redemption. You can track the redemptive line, not only salvifically to save us, but you can also see the marital redemptive relationship given in the Word. Okay, Thus, in Genesis 2, you have 100% equality with the male-female relationship just as God intended it to be. That's what you have in Genesis chapter 2. So at creation 1 and 2, you've got equal image bearers, in complete harmony, uh, complementarianism, the husband taking the lead, the wife as the helper, uh, following her husband's godly lead. But all of a sudden, something happens in the fall. In Genesis 3, you have what we would call the battle of the sexes. And in your time, take a reading of Genesis 3, verse 16, and you'll find out that God not only puts enmity between the woman and her seed, but also, meaning the enemy and the seed, ultimate seed would be Christ. That's called the proto-euangelion, proto which is proto-evangelism. He shall bruise your heel, but you will 
crush his head. Well, that's, that's the four gleams of the gospel. That's what Christ did for us. But in verse 16, it says that you will seek to rule over him, but he will dominate you. And that's the husband-wife relationship. So where we were? Bliss. Because of the battle of the sexes, what caused that conflict and confusion? Sin in the garden. But Ephesians 5 is the picture of redeemed and restored marriage after you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is the way it's supposed to look. This is what God intended in the beginning. So again, three verses speak to the women, seven to the men. Proverbs 18 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. We all as men need to know how to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Before we dive in to the passage, you may be tempted to snooze on me if you're not married. You may clock out because you're saying, you know what, this is all about husband and wife. I'm not married or whatever the case may be. I don't need to listen. Well, you'll miss one of the most important verses ever given to us because the Bible teaches us that marriage is a picture of how Jesus Christ loved you. So you need to stay in tune, you need to listen, or you'll miss out on it. So, how to handle a woman, or when a man loves a woman, here's what the Word of God tells us. In verse 25, he says to us, you must put her needs ahead of your desires. Some of you women are saying, amen, thank you, preacher. Right? To love your wife as Christ loved the church means that you have to put her needs before your desires. We are to love them with a selfless kind of love. Notice how verse 25 describes it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Note this, and gave himself up for her. What does this mean to us? Well, our Lord put the church ahead of his own personal desire. He did not come to be served, but to give his life a ransom For many, that's why he came. His humiliation started way before he went to the cross. His humiliation began the moment he got off his royal throne and committed to the Father's will to come down to this earth. The Bible says that he did not consider his equality with the Father, Philippians 2, something to be grasped. What I tell you about man and women's relationship, both are equal image bearers. Your marriage is somewhat a picture of the Trinity. There is 100% complete equality between a man and a woman. But there's, and there's also 100% complete equality between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But functionally, the Spirit of God has always submitted to the Son, and the Son has always submitted to the Father, but yet they're completely equal. So thus, to the radical feminists in this world, study the Trinity. It will teach you why God made us like He did. But the Son of God condescended from heaven. His humiliation started when he left the confines of heaven and took on our nature, took on our skin, because the Bible says that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. So look how selfless Jesus Christ was and is. The moment he left his throne, he began to sacrifice for me and you, for those who would come To know him. Now, Paul takes what Christ did for us and that ultimate sacrifice, and he carries it over to the men women relationship. How, as husbands, we should love our wives. We are called to put our needs ahead of our own. We're to love our wives with a selfless 
kind of love. Why would he speak on this particular topic specifically to men? Why does he say men love your wives, but on the flip side he says wives submit unto your husbands? Well, because as men we tend to be self-centered. From the moment we come into this world, we're told that we're takers and women are givers. But the reverse is actually true in the Bible. To be the servant leader you're supposed to be in the home or to be the kind of God, be the kind of man that God intends for you to be, the greatest servant in the home ought to be the dad. I don't hear any amens. The greatest servant in the home ought to be the dad. Why? Because Jesus told us to love in this manner. So he's addressing that to us. What is, the, what is because of the fall, what's the man's inclination? To be very self-centered and to be selfish. What's the woman's natural fallen state? Is not to submit and line herself up under the authority of her godly, in that case, husband who leads her in the home. So, selfishness. Now, I'm not letting you women off the hook completely. Because you'll have a tendency to be self-centered too, right? Yeah, women are sometimes at that way. And some of you men, as I was preaching, were thinking, Philip, you're not married to my wife. <laughs> you think I'm the most self-centered person in the home? Bucko, bucko, you've got it wrong. Maybe your statement is true for women in general, but it's not true for my wife, right? Because I saw some of you husbands go, when I said that, right? Now, I know some of your wives, and I understand your complaint. Now, I've only been here nine months. That's not true. That's not true. Listen to this excerpt called Ten Rules for Living with a Woman. Guys, at this point, you get to take notes. Okay? Now, guys, if you had not taken notes so far, don't worry about it because your wife is. I promise you. Right? But, guys, here's your chance to take notes. Rule number one, the female always makes the rules. Never forget it. Number two, rules are subject to change by the female at any time. Three, no male can understand or know all the rules. Number four, if the female suspects that the male knows all the rules, she has a right to change any or all of the rules without prior notification. Number five, the male can never discuss the rules without prior written permission. Number six, the female is never wrong, and if the male thinks she is wrong, it is only because he has misunderstood the rules. I love this one, number seven. If the male has misunderstood the rules, thereby making the female to appear to be wrong, he must immediately apologize for his mistake. <laughs> the female is within the rules to become angry or upset at any time. Number nine, it is against the rules for the male to ever become angry or upset, except for those occasions when the female expects for him to become angry or upset, and under no circumstance can the female let him know when she expects him to be upset or angry. <laughs> That's right. Number 10, any male that cannot abide by the rule is subject to bodily harm. And some of you men are saying, I know who wrote that. That's the Ten Commandments of my home. Actually, my wife wrote this. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. That's not true. Now listen, men have a tendency to be selfish, not selfless. Women, for the most part, are givers. I mean, some of you are recipients because your mom gave. And you need to thank her for that today, right? And so, for some of us, 
We need to stop long enough to think for our wives what it's going to take for us to live like this. What is it going to take for you to be selfless? It, it may simply be today that you're not going to go golfing and you're not going to go fishing. You're not going to hook the bath boat up. You're going to do what your wife desires for you to do because you're going to love her as Christ loved the church. You're not going to go to the ball field. Hello, Tokyo. Right? You're not, it may be something as simple as washing dishes. Now, I talked about this at my former church, and people bought me a lot of lotion because I talked about washing. But our dishwasher's not broken right now, and I haven't had to wash any lately. Okay? Or it, it may be that it might be real complicated for some of you this morning. It may be that you've got a job promotion that's on the way, but it's not going to help your wife. As a matter of fact, it's going to hurt your marriage. What kind of decision do you make in that case? Is it a decision that, hey, you know what? I'm climbing the ladder. I'm not even really worried about what ladder, what wall that ladder is leaning against. I'm just wanting to climb that ladder. But God may be telling you for the sake of your bride, don't do it. I don't know how this principle plays out in your life. But the Bible says that you ought to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Put her needs ahead of your desires. Number two. You must help your wife reach her full God-given potential in life. Now, these are some hefty verses in 25 through 27. The Bible says that he might, see that word? Sanctify. Again, in redemptive thinking, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who sanctified you and set you apart and made you his own. But that doesn't stop there. There's also a sanctifying understanding of between justification and glorification where you're becoming more like Jesus. And so in these verses, he's speaking of Christ sanctifying the church. And how do we define that word sanctify in the Christian faith? It is to be understood justify, sanctify, and glorify. Justify means this. When you are in Christ Jesus, you've turned from sin and self and you've trusted in Christ, into Him, trusted Him for salvation, then He gives you a righteous standing. Isn't that awesome? Your acceptability before the Father is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Justified. Pronounced innocent before the Lord. And that begins and deals with the penalty of your sin. Aren't you thankful if you're saved today the penalty has been taken care of? And then one day there's the glorify, glorification part. And that's when you're in His presence and see Him face to face. You shall be like Him for you shall see Him as He is. There, this, it's not that there's not going to be the temptation to sin. There's not even going to be the presence of sin. Aren't you thankful for that? No more battling sin anymore. But in between, there's this doctrine of sanctification. And through, in between justified and glorified, Jesus Christ is conforming you to his image as you live on this earth. Sanctifying you. So when you enter into his presence in the future, perfect, without sin, yet... In between, between the beginning and the end, there's spiritual growth and there's maturity. And we're becoming more like Christ. Now, that's what the verses mean. That's what sanctify means. So how do we apply that to the husband-wife relationship? Well, if you want to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you must help her in her spiritual walk to be all that God intends for her to be this side of heaven. Now, this is a different twist than what most of us think about marriage. It's a different understanding of how we should enter into it. We should want them to be more like Jesus Christ. I think it's great when young men and women marry. 
I think it's great to see them marry when they're, say, under 25. Now it's getting pushed on out there because they want their careers, and then they're going to get married as a, ha- as a hobby, maybe, even have children as a hobby. But that wasn't the way it was in the beginning. I promise you that. There's something glorious about young people getting married. You know why? If they know Jesus as Lord, what better place for them to go through the process of sanctification than living in a home with two sinners under the same roof, right? And a male and a female, right? You learn the process of sanctification. Thus, we're reminded when we come to this point of sanctify, sanctifying love, her reaching her full potential. There is a Hebrew picture, there is a prophetic picture, and there is the marital picture picture that we have in the Word of God. And Kent Hughes provides this for us. Listen to this sanctifying part. It's the effect of love, and it's beautifully, uh, the pictures that you have here help us understand this. In order for us to do it, listen to these. There's the Hebrew picture. It is the bride's wedding day, the day of her dreams. She rises with the dawn in anticipation. The hours speed by. Her women friends join her for her ritual nuptial bathing. The cleansing bath is completed. And then she is clothed in her embroidered linen wedding dress and wedding sandals. And then she waits breathlessly without spot or wrinkle for her bridegroom. And we've got it messed up in our day. The, bridegroom comes, the bride comes down the aisle. It's reversed in Hebrew. They wait for the bridegroom to come to the home and pick them up. And that's what the Lord of glory is going to do for us. Right? The bridegroom is coming soon. Hebrew picture. That's a lovely picture. But listen to the prophetic picture. It is of the individual members of the church here on earth who are under the preaching of the word. They have been saved by grace through faith. Baptized. Symbolizing full washing from sin and their regeneration as the bride of Christ. Then the picture switches to the return of Christ. When this washed and regenerated church is presented by Christ Jesus to himself in absolute perfection. She radiates her perfection. She's completely free from any ethical or spiritual stain. The official wedding is ready to begin. And this is the picture of the sealing of the romance of the ages. What I mean by that? Don't you realize that your marriage is a picture of what Christ Jesus is doing from Genesis to Revelation? When you get to Revelation, even the marriage supper of the Lamb, you're going to be fully married to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. So marriage is an earthly picture of an already existing reality. You're not the fulfillment. The fulfillment is the Lord Jesus Christ and His love for the church. Right? And then there is the marital picture. And here's where it hits you men and me. Think of your awesome responsibility right here. When he puts together that you wash them by the word, that you're sensitive, that you're sacrificing, all these things. Listen. Then there's this earthly marital picture. It is of a woman who throughout her life has grown to be ever more like Jesus. Her salvation and sanctification are solely due to the work of the King, the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, a prominent instrument in her progressive sanctification has been her loving husband. He has been a humble partner in developing her beauty. How did this come about? Well, he was a man of the Word. Where the Word of God richly indwelt him. Colossians 3.16 And as God's Word and Spirit filled this man, he lived out the ethics of the kingdom. As her loving head, he served her and prayed for her and adored her with unconditional love. 
And the tide of his authenticity and encouragement in her own life brought her more onward and upward in her beauty of the soul. All was and is of Christ the bridegroom, but the sanctifying love of the husband was an effective instrument in the hands of Jesus Christ. All right, men, how you doing? Is your wife more like Jesus because of you or in spite of you? Hey, that's a good question, isn't it? Think about that. Is your bride more like Jesus today because she's married to you or is it in spite of you? You have a hand in her progressive sanctification to make her more like Jesus. That's your responsibility as a man. That's our responsibility according to the text. Put her needs ahead of your desires. And help her reach her God-given sanctified potential in life. Now, I've heard men come to me and say, Preacher, I don't like the church stuff. My wife's got a good dose of this religion. I've had men come to my office upset that their wife, wives are growing in grace in Jesus Christ. You know what? Well, if she keeps doing this, she ain't going to like me anymore. She's doing all this church stuff. By the way, let me make a distinction between religiosity and true salvation. Religion will drive your husband away. But relationship with Jesus will draw him into you. Amen. Have you ever gone and watched uh, Lee Strobel's movie? Have y'all watched that one? The Case for Christ? That's exactly what God did in that, in that man's life. It was his wife that came to know Jesus. And because she didn't, really, she didn't live religiosity, she didn't get all religious on him, she got spiritual in Jesus, right? And it was that effect upon his life. But I'm telling you guys, you should desire for your wife to be a spiritual giant for Jesus. Whatever it takes, you want her to be a spiritual giant for Jesus. And I promise you this, the more she falls in love with Jesus, even if you're an unregenerate lost husband, the more she's going to love you. The more she loves Christ, the more she's going to love you. So God has blessed women with incredible talents and gifts and potential. And we as husbands should desire for them to become all they can possibly be for the king this side of heaven. What have you made her? Is she better today for Jesus because of you? And finally, you must let her know that she is the number one earthly priority in your life. Here it is. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I told you that there are six occasions where those verses are used. Jesus used them in a defense when they asked him about Moses giving a bill of divorcement. This is exactly what they were asking him. And, and Jesus responds by giving these verses. So what does it mean? Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother be glued unto his wife. Well, why doesn't it say, therefore shall a woman leave a man, leave her father and mother, be joined unto her husband? Because it's understood that she's going to leave her home. Right? And she's going to join the husband's family. That was understood. Furthermore, there's something else under this with this kind of language. And that's to teach us that the marital relationship, one man for one woman. Have I made that clear? Amen. This one man, heterosexual marriage. One man for one woman. Okay? But here's what the text says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined unto his wife, be glued unto her. So what the Bible is teaching you, and this would have rocked the disciples' world, is that the preeminent relationship known to man is the husband-wife relationship. 
nothing was cherished in the Hebrew mind more than a father and a child's relationship, especially a father and a son. But Jesus said, I'm going to trump that for you. I'm going to tell you what the real issue is. The real issue is that when that woman leaves her, ho- the hu- leaves her father, that headship, and she's joined to the new man in her life, the new authority, the new head, that is the preeminent of all human relationships. In other words, that woman has to be your number one earthly priority. Jesus first, right? But your number one earthly priority, that's what the text means. That is the preeminent of all human relationships. It's holy and it's sanctified. In the marriage bed, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4, it is undefiled. Preeminent of all human relationships. Supersedes any and all of them. This is a critical issue in our world today, right? Have you ever had something called in-law interference? Did you know that usually it comes more from the male side? From the man's side, because mama's like, I raised that boy, I'm going to still tell him what to do. And woman, I'm going to tell you how to tell him what to do. Right? And some of you are guilty in here. Well, statistically, it's worse from the man's parents. Here's my rules about in-law interference. Y'all ready for a pen and paper? Hands off. Second, hearts open. Three, mouth shut. That's good, isn't it? For in-law interference. Amen. Well, the truth is the marriage relationship is preeminent above relationships with your parents. And catch this. And above your relationship to your children. This is where we're in trouble in the United States of America because kids dictate the home. You should have seen Timothy's eyes one day when I looked at him and said, You know what? Before she's ever your mom... She's my wife. You're not going to talk to my wife like that. You ever done that before? Have you? Well, you should. If your children play you against the other spouse, you better not go down that line. You are preeminently the relationship is husband and wife. If I'm not right on this, you think about what's happening in our world. As soon as those kids are raised and they're out of that home, you don't know your spouse. Everything you've done is about those kids. And you haven't loved and grown in. You don't fall in love, folks. You grow in love. Just like your relationship with Christ. And I'm telling you, you better listen to me. You'll get to that point when the kids are gone and empty nest syndrome is there. And you'll look at your mate and you won't know that mate. You won't know your husband or wife. And you, how many times have we heard, well, let's just stay together for the sake of the children. No! You stay together for the sake of the vow that you made to that woman and the king that's in heaven. Right? That's the preeminent of all human relationships. It's the husband-wife relationship. And here's the deal. The more secure she feels in your love, the more committed and fervent she is in her love toward you. Mark her down. It's the fact. She needs to know that you are unconditionally committed to her. Aren't you thankful that we have a Savior that was unconditionally committed to us? Remember... You're loving her like Christ loved the church. Look at his unconditional love. It doesn't say husbands love your wife as long as she does what you want her to. It's it's unconditional love. It's the way that Jesus loved us. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. Are you secure in the love of Christ? Well, your wife ought to be secure in your love for her. Now, husbands, if you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church, this is what it means. This is what it means from the text. Her needs above your own. 
that priority in life, that she is the preeminent relationship this side of heaven. Now, think back with me earlier. What did I tell you about this passage? Some of you thought, well, if it's on marriage relationship, then I can clock out. I don't have to hear another word the preacher said. Well, I want to remind you that the entire passage is designed to speak to individual Christians. Verse 32, you see it? This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that this refers to Christ and His church. Do you know that Jesus Christ loved you unconditionally? You talk about service and about sacrifice. It ought to be in a husband's life. Think about how much he loved and sacrificed for you. Think about, just for a moment, how committed Jesus is to you becoming more like him. That's why he saved you, by the way. He didn't save you to sit on your blessed assurance. He saved you to become more like him. For some of us, if the rapture occurs, it's going to be more like a rupture. Because we're nowhere close to being like the God we belong to. Right? But you ought to be. Every day becoming more and more like Jesus, the one whose nature you bear. Everything we learned about the husband-wife relationship, it's how Christ loved you. That's how he's teaching this in this text. Even the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, put the Father's will and eternal desire above his own. Jesus wants you to reach your full God-given potential for him, right? In sanctification. And is he ever committed to you? He is. He will never leave you nor forsake Amen. you. He gave himself for you, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He wants to conform you to his image, Romans 8. And his desire is, according to Hebrews, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. All right, listen. This week, I preached a revival up in Georgia. And I was actually preached a revival in South Carolina went to a wedding in Georgia. And on Friday, before Natalie and Elena and Logan and I drove to Savannah from North Georgia, I got a phone call that a 23-year-old kid had died of a drug overdose in his apartment in Furman, at Furman University. He was to graduate the next day. So I did that funeral on Monday. And so my thoughts were, as I stood before 150 or so students, there were 1,000 people in attendance. It, the, the husband and wife were dear friends of ours. Timothy and Merritt and Elena grew up with their kids. Blake, Brent, and Carter. I just buried his grandfather a month and a half ago in Georgia. And the tragic thing is this. I think it's a fitting day to say this on Mother's Day. Some of you kids are wondering what you can do for your mother. Some of you kids, and really what's over that is how you're going to live your life for Christ. That's the issue. There are so many young people today that are wasting their lives. That's why John Piper wrote the book called Don't Waste Your Life. You need to find a copy of that book and read it. Only one life will live, and that life soon will pass. But only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. And listen to Hebrews, young people. Listen to this verse. And here's what my desire for young people is today. Instead of living for the world and getting all you can and living for the moment and becoming a reproach against Christ if you're saved, here's the desire of God's people. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. 
Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but there we have a city that is to come. Young people, listen. Don't live for this city. This city is not going to last. You need to live your life for the city that is to come. It's not on this earth. Here's what we need to do. Instead uh, of dabbling in things, I read this this week from Spurgeon. Drunken habits grow out of lazy hours. Get up and do something. Young people, get off the couches and looking at video screens. Get off your phones and become a reproach for Christ. Take his name outside the gate. Right? Get busy serving Jesus. You'll honor your mom and dad. Right? Let's do this for him. I don't want to do another funeral for a 23-year-old who died of a truck overdose. I don't want it to be you coming through here. You know, God might take you home. He might kill me today. I might go home. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be because I drank alcohol and took something else. Not unless my wife does it to me, right? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Look, folks, please listen to me. Young people, you need to listen. That's this is what our world is becoming today. And you got to guard yourself against it. Remember what your mom and dad taught you. As the proverb says, listen to the instruction of your father. Pay close attention to it. Listen to the instruction of your pastor. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. And God, uh, I know full well that we have struggling families in this church. They're in every church. And God, I know that it starts with the dad. God, whatever it takes this morning, would you grab a hold to some dads? God, would you get a hold to them and help them understand that we are living for a city that is to come and not here. God, help all of us. Lord, for moms, thank you, Lord God, uh, for loving mothers. God, help us treat them as we should. Lord, my prayer also for teenagers today. Lord, they just graduated, some of them. To graduate means to take a step. God, we want them to take a step for Jesus. We want them to take a step. Put another hill. Put another flag on the hill for you. God, would you get a hold to their hearts? Would you raise a generation of young people who are more concerned about the city to come than this world? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.